Welcome to Joyful Marketing. I'm Simone Soul, and I teach you how to get your life coaching practice fully booked without having to pay for ads, buy Instagram followers, or complicated sales funnels. It's not rocket science, and you can do it too. Listen on to find out how. Well, actually, depending on where you're listening from, this is either the Joyful Marketing Podcast with Simone Soul or it's Unfuck Your Brain with Carlo and I. So either way, welcome. Or both. You should listen to this twice because it's going to be that good. So That's right. So I'm going to introduce myself first for those of you who might be um, who might be meeting me for the first time. I am Simone Soul. I am indeed the host of the Joyful Marketing Podcast, and I am the marketing coach for life coaches. And... I always forget what to say after that. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Carl Lowenthal. I'm the host of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast. I am a feminist mindset coach, which means I teach women how to identify what patriarchy and socialization has done to their brains and then how to fix it. Also, you guys can't see Simone, but she's wearing, Simone is famous for her glasses collection, among other things. In addition to her marketing brilliance, she has the world's possibly biggest, most amazing collection of giant glasses. Yeah. You know, my favorite thing is about that is that everybody assumes that I like get my, my, my frames from like weird little indie stores that I only, I know about like, Oh, I got this from like, like Amazon hidden boutique <laughs> in Prague three years ago. And this you know, which lady sold it to me? Actually, they're like mostly from Amazon, like box stores. So you all, you too can Google them. They are amazing, but you can't, what you can't Google is the aplomb to carry them off. Yeah. That's what you can't Google. Like that, that is the specific. Well, guess step. what? That aplomb, is that how you say it? I don't, I've never said that. Right. I have no idea. Aplomb, Until whatever. I was like 35, I thought that the word misshapen was pronounced mishapen. So <laughs> once I heard it said out loud, I was like, Oh, now that I think about it, that does make sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That checks out. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> a plum or a plume, however it's pronounced, it starts with a thought. And yeah. you can borrow yeah. the thought too, which is that if I want to wear it, I can pull it off. I can carry it off. Oh, that's a good thought. I like it. Yeah. I think I firmly believe that being able to pull something off is a thought. Okay. So I was stalking Kara for far longer than she was stalking me. <laughs> then now it's a mutual stalking endeavor i just now it's mutual fully <laughs> oh my god we have to pause we have to pause i have to tell the story because i i infamously stalked rachel hart to be my friend we right 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 podcast and then i heard this npr story this week about this guy whose best friend moved to vienna without telling him and so he just like moved to vienna also but he he just like showed up he was like hey you're not allowed to move without me. Like now I live here too. And I, so I sent it to Rachel and I was like, this makes me look very chill. <laughs> like I did not. Best friend moved to Vienna without, why would a best friend move somewhere without telling their best friend? Because this is what happens to cis straight men under patriarchy and the way that they're socialized. They're oh like, my God, Kari, you have so much work to do in the world. But they don't <laughs> communicate about these things. They're just like, oh, I'll just let you know later. <laughs> moved to Vienna. This is how they, I, I mean- my boyfriend that I had at the beginning of the pandemic, my ex was trapped in Paris during the pandemic and it was like this whole thing and he like couldn't get out. And then he didn't tell me that he was coming home until he was like on the plane coming home. Like that was when he thought to let me know that was happening. And then I was like texting Rachel in a like, what is happening? And she asked her husband, when would you let me know if that happened to you? And he was like, yeah, once I'm on the plane. So this is Hashtag just like a whole other thought process. I do not understand their models. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was saying, um, I think the mutual stalking started to happen when Cara and I kind of like started bonding over like our shared like slacker identity. <laughs> <laughs> Our love of naps. Our love of naps. And we started talking about it a little bit, little bit by little bit. And then we realized there's something here, or at least I realized there's really something here that's a co- piece of the conversation that's really missing. And Caro teaches a lot about productivity and mindset. And I teach a ton about business and coaching. And I think, the you know, and obviously people bring a lot of their assumptions and beliefs about productivity and what it means to do good work that are unquestioned, like the, these unquestioned assumptions about that into their work in marketing. And they make themselves a lot more miserable than they need to be. And they make, make themselves a lot less productive than they could be. And I've unwittingly become a champion for like taking long, long naps and, you know, doing things the, the quote unquote, the lazy way. And I didn't, start out like thinking that this was like something that I was going to stand for as a principle. Like I actually started out thinking that it was like a personality defect, uh, always hundred yeah. percent doing it wrong. And, uh, you know, to my own surprise, you know, I think I f- kind of figured out along the way with my thoughts, like a recipe for tapping into a great, you know, well of creativity and, and power and productivity inside me that was completely not at all, not only not mutually exclusive with, like a flippant disregard for <laughs> what like conventional culture teaches as, you know, how, what productivity looks like and like these schedules and routines and, and calendars and stuff like that. Not only was it not mutually, mutually exclusive, I feel like my power and creativity came from the way that I really, uh, I, I felt free to honor my own rhythms and flows. So we started talking about that. And I think at the time, I mean, you can tell the story, but you were also going through something you know, I don't want to tell your story, but um. no, yeah, I was doing a lot. Of, I mean, I have been, I was doing the same work and I think getting to like the next level of it. I mean, this is something that I got coached on in my master coach training five years. And that was whatever that was. Yeah. Five years ago where my, I have always been somebody who can basically like produce a minus work in an hour that takes other people <laughs> nine hours. Right. But oh. then I'm constant, but then I'm constantly telling myself, if you can do the A minus in an hour, then you should spend the nine hours, and then it would be an A plus. Right. Oh. Or you should like do the more, right. So a personality flaw, if you don't want to do Yeah, that. exactly. Like Wait. I should, right. And, and like, of course you should be trying to be the best. Right. So I've been, got, I've been getting coached on this on and off for years. And I remember my master coach training, Brooke, you know, Castillo being like, what if you just were like, Hey, isn't it awesome that I can do an A minus in an hour without any planning or prep. Like Stacey Bayman and I talk about this all the time. Like, and I think one of the, so what she and I talk about is how like we're opposite and we both had trouble accepting it. Right. Because this is what patriarchy does to women. I think is just teaches us to believe that however we're doing it is wrong. Right. I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm just laughing because continuing on the theme that you started with Rachel Hart, in my mind, it's always like people who can produce a minus work in an hour but, but they do go through the trouble of producing yeah. A-plus work in nine hours. That's why they end up in Harvard and I ended up at Wellesley. Yeah, that's definitely not why. <laughs> like, Rachel makes- also would think that, and it's the opposite. We are human beings, and I'm doing my life wrong. Yeah, no. I went to Harvard by doing everything at the last minute. <laughs> but, like, Stacey had the opposite, where she's somebody who really does like to plan and spend a lot of time. Yeah. But she was just beating herself up, being like, well, a car can do it in an hour. I should just yeah. do it on the fly, right? And so I think it's such an example of like, the truth is 
the problem with the capitalism and Protestant productivity narrative, especially for women, is that nobody wins. Even the people who are like keeping that schedule or doing the nine hours of work still don't feel good about themselves, right? Because you can never action your way to feeling good about yourself. So I have been working on this for years and it did fine. And then I felt like I had gotten to an okay place with it. And then I started building my team and then it was just like, it all came back up, right? It's like, you can do work on dating and then you get in a relationship and it's like, oh Jesus, now there's a whole other level of like work I have to do. And so the fact of being a boss with employees who did have fixed work hours, like brought up this whole new depth of having to do that work all over again on like, you know, what does it mean if I work? Even now my brain is like, they're going to listen to the podcast, the employees, and they'll know, right? Like I have all this, had all this drama that like, that like, what if I work three hours a day and they work eight hours a day, right? What if I, like, I had all this drama around having employees brought up this sort of same thought pattern again, would but just in the form of like having drama around. Oh, kind of like being like perfectionistic towards them. And like, you know. oh, both. I think I was like more judgmental of them when I was more judgmental of myself, of course. Right, right. Also, kind of brought up this like, well, it's okay if you're only doing four hours of work a day when it's just you, but like you can't. But if you have employees who are working eight hours a day, you can't be doing four hours of work a day, right? As though it's the hours that matter. And so when you and I started bonding about this, I had just finally had this breakthrough of like, oh, if somebody said to me, listen, you can hire me and I'm going to work four hours a day and I'm going to 10 times your revenue or whatever, right? I'm going to double your revenue next year. I'm only going to work those four hours a day. I'm not doing anything else. I'd be like, sold. Where do I sign? Like, I don't give a shit what you're doing with the rest of your time. Right. Right. And that that is my role in my business is to like do the deep thinking, create the content, have the strategic vision, all of these kinds of roles and jobs that maybe there are people who can do it eight hours a day. I'm not one of them. I can do it three or four hours a day, like max. And then I need a nap. So I think I had just gotten to that place. And then you posted something about it. And I was like, it was almost like, I'm sure I'd heard that before, but I couldn't believe it. But then I was like, right in the right place to be like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one who's like this. That's that's amazing. This seems like the perfect time to introduce the concept I created 15 minutes ago. Simone is trying to show me up. She was like, we're going to get on this we're going to get on this podcast. We're just going to riff. And then I came on and she was like, hi, I've invented a new coaching concept with a whole name and I'm going to launch it on the podcast. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well. I've been taught well. <laughs> I didn't come up with a new coaching concept. I thought we were just hanging out, but Okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, because I was like, I was like a little bit nervous about this conversation. It's like, I better have something good to show up with. So this is how my like <laughs> perfectionism shows up. But then I started going through all the, the themes that we touched on in our conversations and the things that, that I was thinking about on, on my own. And I, I drew this like table with two columns in my, in my brain and one with sort of like the, like the kind of old, you know, what Cara and I see as the outdated model of productivity and the assumptions we have about it, things we believe about it. And the the other column is what I have been learning, right? About different way of, of doing your work that is surprising and a lot of people aren't used to. And so I decided to name the left column, the patriarchal industrial model of creativity. It's a little clunky, but go with me. I would just call it the patriarchal industrial complex. Complex. Okay. Patriarch, patriarch wait, patriarchal. It's like the PIP complex. Patriarchal industri- industri- patriarchal industrial productivity complex. There you go. Okay. I'm going to, I just have it written down my way. So I'm just going to say it keeps it the wrong way. I keep hearing when you say it, I keep hearing like military industrial complex. I yeah. think that's okay. I'm just going to call it okay, patriarchal industri- yeah, industrial. Yeah, 
<laughs> whatever, creativity. And then the right column is the post-industrial feminist model of creativity. And I call it feminist, not just because Kara's on here, but I really think that this different way of thinking about productivity is really based in what is archetypally feminine wisdom and feminine knowing that I think has gotten really squashed over like centuries or like millennia of dominance of the patriarchy. And I'm going to tell you all about what I mean by that. Okay. So I want to talk about like each piece of it, how like contrasting what it looks like in the patriarchal patriarchal industrial model and the post industrial feminist model. Oh my God. Like we can, it's almost like pre and post, right? Cause it's like a return to something. Sure. Yeah. Right? It's, like totally. sort of more, it's like the industrial revolution changed everything. And now we're like, wait, it's only been 200 years. This isn't how everything has to be. Like, how can we kind of go back to that lost wisdom? I completely agree. It's lost wisdom. It's not like brand new wisdom. I think it's actually probably more ancient wisdom that is more yeah, like- it's way more of human history, right? Exactly. Like the Industrial Revolution was only a couple of hundred years. We have eons of time before that when people were not operating on this like clock-based- Perfect. Exactly. Okay, great. So the first point I have about it is that the patriarchal industrial version is version of productivity is solitary and individualistic. And the post-industrial version is collaborative and communal and communicative. I, I didn't know if you were going to go through them all or if I'm no. Okay. Let's, let's, yeah. I'm going to go through it one by one. Or, okay. Yeah. Yep. Because I was, so I noticed this. I spent all of my time observing my clients who are life coaches, like working on their marketing, working on their businesses. And so much, actually, as I'm talking about this, a lot of the concepts that I have listed out here in this table are going to kind of merge with each other. But a lot of them think that the way to get the best work done is like ass and chair, and force myself to like go through these tasks and it has to all come from my willpower and my brain and my models. And it's very much like pushing my will and, and intellect out into the world. And it's a very one way unidirectional kind of flow. I think that is a very much a hallmark of this. It's almost a very isolating way of, of doing things. Like it's just you and what you produce is a measure of your worth and there's no communal or collaborative aspect of it. And even if there is a collaboration, it's very much like two individual people coming together with their separate pieces as opposed to a true communication that is greater than the sum of its parts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's so interesting because what I experienced with this sort of freedom around schedule and not being so time-based is feels a little bit like, I don't know if I would say the opposite, but it feels like the that there was something about trying to force myself to work on like a nine to five. Like I had this moment where I was like, I have spent all of this time and money and effort building this whole business that I can run from anywhere the way that I want to. And then I'm like beating myself up that I'm not sticking to the schedule worked by the investment bankers. Like it was just like, makes no sense. Like what was the point of all that? If I am supposed to then like recreate that structure and, you know, if I'm going to like recreate yeah. that for myself. And so for me, it felt actually sort of like, I feel more individual. This may also probably just reflects like something, maybe part of a difference in how we and how we think about things. I mean, I on the one hand, I completely agree with you about there is like that, there is that sort of isolated individualistic version of like, you know, yeah, like my work is just like me downloading from wherever. And, you know, and I also am somebody who um, develops ideas best through talking them out. So I'm relational in that way. But I think that this freedom to rest thing for me has felt very much like, actually honoring how I am as an individual and sort of 
de like taking myself out. I was much more thinking of like, okay, well, this is how the collective is. It's, I mean, it's an interesting paradox of industrialization, right? On the one hand, it is very mechanistic. It's like, everybody's in a factory. They're doing their one thing. It's in the machine, you're clogged, right? Yeah. But then there's a whole big machine, right? So it's like this paradox of it's all one big group effort. And yet in the machine, everybody just has their one little part. And there isn't like a free exchange, what you're talking about, kind of a group generative creative process. I actually think we're talking about the same thing from different angles because I completely agree. There is a lot more freedom in when you're kind of like really free to be yourself and free to let your brain do what it does. But at the same time, when you give your brain the space to think and and notice your organic flow in the first place to be able to follow it, right? When you get into your solitary rhythm and you get to notice it for the first time, which you don't even notice it exists if you're trying to like squash yourself into fit to fit the machine your whole life. What happens is that you actually open yourself up to a different level of receptivity. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, huh, what does my body have to teach me about how I work best? And what kind of environments do I feel, you know, at my most generative or what kind of conversations outer or inner conversations light me up. And then you kind of get into a, like a a mode of noticing receptivity about what's around you. And then you, you start, you start noticing things that are going to help you, right. As opposed to you being in a mode of trying to like push through a, a cognitively, cognitively defined intellectual agenda through your f- force of will, right? And you're not receptive to any other form of intelligence that's trying to speak to you about how you might function best, how you might be productive best, and how you can best, because the work I do is marketing, really communicate with the people that you are trying to reach, right? It's a, it's a two-way communication. Yeah, I wonder if it has something to do with like the difference in our, like, I think we experience it differently a little bit based on the difference maybe in our, what our work is focused on, or just kind of like you're a little, you know, I think you're like you talk more about a relationship with the divine or with spirit in a way that I, you know, I think we may come from different perspectives, but I think that's also so valuable about this. Like what I have been really thinking about a lot is not so much community with others, but actually like the natural world, yeah, the ways, right. right? Like including that. Yeah. Yeah. The ways in which, you know, just sleeping when I'm tired and being like trusting that you know, it's sort of this almost scarcity mindset of like, well, what if there isn't energy later in the week? What if I'm not going to get it done? What if I'm right, as opposed to being like trusting that if I sleep now, I will have energy to do it later, right? Rather than like trusting that natural process. And I read this book that I probably have already talked about on the podcast that I'm obsessed with. I think I sent it to you called Wintering. Wintering, yeah. Yeah. And so, and that has like really, and I think also being, you know, at home and during the winter in a pandemic. That's like really made me think about those natural ebbs and flows, right? And like how that one of the big interventions of the industrial, I feel like also we're talking about this, like we're at a Harvard Wellesley's like colloquium. And I know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we should like define the industrial revolution. I think it's great. Like, listen, people think life coaching is light on the substance. No. Okay. Industrial revolution is when society basically went from an agrarian system where most people lived on the land. There were all, and farmed. There were also obviously tradespeople, craftspeople. It's not like everybody was a farmer, but decentralized. And actually I've been reading this book called Do Nothing. That is a great book about this transition to right, essentially the invention of the steam engine made it possible to have factories 
And now all of a sudden it matters, like what's 8 a.m., what's 8 p.m., like how many hours are you working? All of a sudden we get this, that plus the invention of electrical light and the ability to have, you know, to work past the natural rhythm of the sun up and the sun down. Ignore the natural rhythm and having supremacy over the the natural rhythm. Right. And so then all of a sudden what you get is all these people working in factories, doing mechanized rote work over and over you get the invention of kind of modern commerce and capitalism like that. All, so that's what we're talking about when we talk about the industrial revolution. It's the, for anybody who's listening, it's like, what the fuck is going on? It's the invention of, of factories and modern kind of modern labor. And, and that has a whole host of different, I mean, it impacts every area of our life, right? For instance, now it may, now there's this structure where you're supposed to sleep eight hours at a time and then you go to work and then you do whatever, right? Whereas there's all there's this sort of lost history phenomenon of how people used to sleep, which was go to sleep basically when the sun went down, wake up four or five hours later, be up in the middle of the night for a few hours. People would visit with their neighbors, write in their journals, have sex. Then they would have second sleep. They'd go back to sleep again. Like it's a huge change in what was millennia of natural living. Mm-hmm. And so what Simone and I are kind of talking about here is like, what are the ways that that has, can I curse on your podcast? I know I can curse on my podcast. I don't oh, know about yours. You're rated. Okay. Occasionally I get on one and then the host is like, oh my God, no, we don't do that. How that has like, (laughs) yeah, how that I made sense, but how that's fucked up, like our ideas about what is productivity, how do we, and we were all trying to fit ourselves into this, like, you know, corp, like the nine to five, what does that come from? It comes from the factory floor of like, literally comes from the factory floor. Yeah. Only after the unions got to it. Before that, it was like nine to nine. (laughs) It was like a 12 hour, 14 hour workday. Right. It comes from that. And that, you know, that is, has a cost. And the the piece I think I was getting, you're helping helping me to better articulate my concept, but the piece about like solitary um, individualistic versus collaborative is that if you're on the factory floor, your factory, your shift manager or the owner of the factory or whatever does not give a flying shit about like your input or your feelings or your creative flow or anything. Right. <laughs> right. So it's kind of like you're it's it, that that's the piece that's isolating. And the thing is when you have your own business as my clients do, or even if you don't have a business and you're you're one of Karen's clients and you're you have a job or you have some you know, you're a mom or whatever you are, the thing is in some way or another, we all get to be our own boss right? We get to be our own manager and we get to make decisions about how we use your time, what we're going to, what we're going to prioritize and how we manage ourselves. And we often get into the mindset of there's like a dictatorial shift manager or, or, you know, factory floor manager and the employees, the factory workers input does not matter. So that's like very unidirectional that way. Yeah. We replicate that ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Whereas if you get out of that model, it's like, what if the factory the shift manager like really wanted to talk to you about your feelings and it <laughs> wanted to create a collaborative yeah. environment for you? And also, but even like if we back it up a step, like productivity comes out of the word production, right? Mm-hmm. The whole idea that we, the whole idea that productivity is a thing is from the industrial revolution, right? It's like, my understanding of intellectual history and, and linguistic history is basically that like blacksmiths weren't sitting around in 1284 AD being like, I have not been productive today. Like yeah, I have not measure like, like I don't, not productivity, but like output somehow, right. If blacksmiths are supposed to create like 10 axes a day, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know what they- <laughs> I think that's how we think about it, but I'm not sure that's true. Like, yes, of course. I mean, I think it's from my, like, and I'm not a sociologist. This is lay person reading of, you know, yeah. of the work, but like, like you read this do nothing book. One of the things she talks about is that 
you know, we assume sort of we're so imbued in this idea that like there have always been bosses and it's top down hierarchical that we sort of assume like, well, okay, it was that way in the Middle Ages too. You had like the people in charge and then the serfs and then, you know, everybody had bosses. But in fact, like that even, you know, serfs sort of land, um, like agricultural peasants would work a certain number of hours a day, kind of sun up to sun down, but also there were like a hundred days off a year from like feast days and various other things. And that artisans and craftspeople were really just in charge of their own schedule and could work as much or as little as they wanted. So not how I thought it went down. (laughs) I know, right? It's wild. This book is great. It's called Do Nothing. It right, it's not what you think, because I think we've taken we're so imbued with this idea about productivity, which I really think is a concept that really is comes out of the industrial revolution and that sort of like all of a sudden now you can be like, okay, like how much are we producing? Let's double productivity. Let's triple it. Let's like, right. Like that kind of thought process. It's like one, it's like one level of the coaching work we can do is to be like, okay, well, let's see how honoring our natural rhythm still allows us to be productive in a different way. And then the next level is like, maybe you're not, who cares? (laughs) Right. Like there is obviously a desire to create and contribute that I think is natural, but it's like we just I think this we have is to be too much careful. for me. My brain can't handle this like post product post-productive <laughs> worldview. I don't I I can't handle it. <laughs> what else are we living for if not to produce? I don't understand. <laughs> but that's so wild, right? I coached, I had a coaching call in the clutch, and usually the like a month or two ago, and usually I, you know, I coach three or four people an hour. Like I coach this one woman for like I think 40 minutes most of the call because it was so relevant to everybody. And because it was all about this, she was like. I mean, she was in a less humorous, much more like I hate you way. Like, I don't understand what you're saying. My value is based on like, what, like, what am I here for if not to do things and produce things? And I do think that's, let's just ask ourselves that question. You know, I think I spent a lot of time thinking about dying and death. And that's when, I, well, during all of our naps, I mean, what are you going to think about when you're just lying around? That's just the time for napping that. is a mini death. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know. <laughs> think about the fact that we are all ultimately headed towards non-productivity, right? Because once yeah. we're dead, we're not producing anything. And also leading up to the days that we die, you know, in the best case scenario, like we die, you know, old and like die in your sleep peacefully. But then we we are we're meant to produce less and less and less as we go on. Like you can't, if you're like 90 years old, you can't be producing 5,000 widgets, widgets a day, right? And that's, that is how old age is supposed to be. And I am already, I'm thinking so much about this because I'm already anticipating like my like old age identity crisis of like, if, I'm, if I have nothing to produce for the world, what is my worth as a human being, right? But also like, what are, I mean, there's two levels, right? One is what are you producing? Mm. So you're not producing widgets, but maybe older people are producing wisdom or producing. Well, what if I don't just want to talk to anybody and I'm a just cranky old person You're who's like, I don't want to give you yourself. But I do think that next level is the production, right? Because this is, what about people who live with disabilities, right? Who cannot produce widgets yeah. now anyway? Like, I think that, you know, what about people who don't want to? I mean, I do think that, you know, it is hard to, I like the, Protestant capitalism goes as deep as almost as deep as the sexism and the racism and all of it. Like the idea truly believing that it would be fine if we didn't produce anything or accomplish anything or like finish tasks, I think is like mind breaking for most of us. The idea that like our value or our worth would not depend on that, but I think it has to, right? I mean, in my, my, like when I think about value and worth, I'm like, every time I teach this, I'm basically like, it is all made up. But 
either we all have it or we all don't. You're not going to convince me of any logical system where like some of us have some of it and it's titrated based on how many emails you answered today. Like it's either we're all in, we're all out. Those are the only two options. I choose to pick we're all in. In which case, what we produce really doesn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. um, My brain is still a little bit broken. (laughs) I think it's normal. I think it's, that's supposed to break it. I mean, I think that's, but that I think we have to let our brains be broken about that because it is such a dominant, like, yeah, what would life be like if you didn't think that your goal was to do things or produce things? I mean, people used to have lives like that. That, that gets me thinking about why I work and why I work very hard when I do is that because I chalk it up to my ADHD, but I have a very poor like receptivity to external direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a very <laughs> nice way of putting it. I know it. most entrepreneurs have some version of oppositional defiant disorder, probably. Exactly. Well, they call really it. Don't like being, we really don't like being told what to do. Yeah. yeah. So in the, in the, you know, Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm totally a rebel and all of my life, I thought it was a personality defect, but now I think otherwise, but um, why did I just bring this up? Oh, because I've never been good at working or producing because other people told me to, or because I should, mm-hmm. I thought I should, because it should just create so much resistance and, and guilt yeah. and shame and resentment inside me that that just sabotages everything. Right. So okay. when I became an entrepreneur, it was finally uh, a t- an opportunity for me to discover if it's not the should, what does compel me and what does push me? And it's a conversation I have a lot with my clients because they're learning how to think outside of that should model for the first time. And so that's why I'm sure you experience a lot with your your students as well, Kara, is if I'm not pressuring myself, if I'm not hustling myself for worthiness, then if I'm not going to beat myself up, if I don't meet my goal, then what's going to fuel me, right? How am I ever going to be motivated if it's not with a stick, right? Right. I t- yeah, this comes up all the time. Right. And I think the normal life coach answer, which I think is true, is that's not actually how it works. You actually will have more energy. You will get right. more done. But I think that like one of the things that I think distinguishes the way I do this work and like like you, it's sort of, it's like, I have to for my brain. I can't only go halfway. Like I have to go all the way. So for me to buy into that idea, I have to go all the way to like, and if you don't, so what? Like who decided that it was better to produce shit while be to produce shit while hating yourself mm-hmm. than to love yourself and do nothing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like if those are only the two options, right? I always am trying to flip it for my clients. Like, no, no, the bot, like they think the bottom line is I have to produce things. Now, right. if you're telling me I can also be nice to myself, okay, I'll try that. Right. right but right, like right. the production has to happen. That's the, that's the shift manager, right? That's like, listen, right. if you guys are saying that a longer lunch break would actually boost productivity, Fine. okay, we can try it. Right. right? But like, we got to make that amount of widgets at the end right. of the day. That's the bottom line. Right. And right. right. Flip that and say, what if the bottom line non-negotiable is I'm nice to myself? Yeah, I think that's if I that's get like shit this. done. Okay, and if I don't get shit done, well, doesn't ma- that's not a reason to change it. Like I'm, I'm nice to myself no matter what, and then we'll see. And that really requires delinking that productivity from value. But I'm wondering though, that's like I want everybody to sit with that, including myself. Um, and I want, <laughs> I'm wondering for you though, and this is what I, this is what I experience. So once I delink all the shoulds and I fire my internal um, shift manager, and then what, what drives me? Because, because I do want to work, right? I'm, in, I'm incredibly driven by my love of the work, and the best that I can capture what it feels like for me is that it really feels like a very organic and loving call and response with something both outside of me and inside me, but 
it's like, it, it feels like a loving pull the way that when you're really attracted to somebody, you just like your body is like pulled towards them. You just want to go like towards them and make out with them. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel this pull towards work and responding to it is not stressful. It's not, I mean, sometimes it requires me to manage my mind, but it feels like showing up for something the way I would call it for, for a sacred calling. Now, I think the difference here is that I don't as much make that, that professional calling my, so my quote unquote work in the world, such a central part of my identity anymore, because I realized that if I got old and sick or whatever, and if I didn't have that, I would break down and I don't want to break down. So what else is there to me? And so I think I'm not quite at the level that you are, that you were just talking about where I completely, you know, I've, I have it completely um, delinked, but I'm learning that my my worthiness as a person or my purpose in life isn't just about my professional identity, but when it does come to my professional identity, it does feel like a loving call and response, right? Like I show up in response to something that is, you know, this pulling me, you know, towards, towards sharing with my people, towards collaboration with ideas that want to express themselves through me. And it does feel so loving and so harmonious. And there's no element of hustle or pressure or should or any, there's no shift manager. And I mean, I guess this is what like a lot of creativity um, teachers would call like working with your muses, right? And I wonder, like, what's your experience with that? Because your work is... I want to talk about that, but as you're... I want to answer that. But as you're talking, something's coming up for me, which is really interesting to me. Because if really what we were valuing was the thing we were producing, then I think you could end up... You could, you know, need to take a break, be sick, go on maternity leave, end up older, not able to do the widgets. And you would have already still produced the things you produced. So Mm -hmm. it should feel fine. Mm -hmm. So I don't really think it is about the producing... I think it's about the moral value of working as an act, Mm. right? Of like having to be in the process of producing all the time. Otherwise it should be able to be like, listen, I came up with relativity. I'm done now. (laughs) Right. But that's how it works. Like, right. Like I had this amazing idea when I was 19 and that's not that Einstein was 19, but you know what I mean? It should be able to be like, okay, I came up with a big, huge thing of value to the world. And like, now I can just do nothing for the rest of my life and not feel bad about it. But that's not what we're describing. When you're hooked into that, like productivity hustle, you don't ever think you've done enough. Yeah. Right. I don't really think it's about the actual creation of value. It's about the judgment of the self for not constantly being in the act of producing. Right now we're going to end up in like Marxist theory. Such an important distinction. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, this is one of the, right. One of the Marxist critiques of capitalism is that <laughs> I love this podcast episode is that, <laughs> they're like, right. That people are turned into the means of production, right. And that their value is only as the means of production of capital that accrues to somebody else, the profit that accrues to somebody else. But regardless of the profit part, the dehumanizing part is tr- turning humans into means of production. And so if we are believing that our only value comes from our productivity, and I think we are, I think we have to be careful not to be like, oh, I just want to like, yeah, produce things of value for the world, like then it should be okay to be done at some point. So that's that side, just a little side note about Marxism and, but um, in terms of what I experience, yeah, I, I don't experience, yours sounds lovely. I would sign up for that. (laughs) That's not what I experience. I don't think what I experience is, I think maybe one thing is like, I have always been very mission driven in my life. Like all of my jobs have been kind of in that same way. And 
Yeah. And so that feels the like same. You like, would do it if there was no reward ever and you never got recognized for it. Like you would just be driven to do something towards. Yeah. I just have always felt like this is, I mean, I was raised with a very strong, like kind of social justice, like your job is to make the world a better place. And in Judaism, there's this idea of um, tikkun olam, which is the idea that the world is broken and we're all responsible for making it whole. So it's like all of our jobs to contribute to make the world a better place. And does that feel, doesn't feel like a should to you, does it? Doesn't it feel like? No, but it's almost like, no, it doesn't feel like, yeah, that has never felt like a should. That feels so, that either because it's in internal or just the socialization happens so early, like it's just, it's like never even up for debate. I mean, it's not, not up for, I understand other people don't think that and I'm not judging other people. I think that's what I'm characterizing as the pull, right? Yeah. I think I've just always felt that. Yeah. The should comes in for me much more with like specific projects or amount or ways of doing thing or specific kinds of work. I don't like, I think for me that, yeah, I guess maybe I don't, maybe it doesn't feel like a strong pull because I'm so used to it. But what I feel is much more like, it's just when there's a lot of shooting, then there's just so much drama and resistance. And I am like white knuckling through doing the work. And when I'm able to just be like, to allow myself to rest and to trust that I will want to, it really reminds me so much of the process of going through intuitive eating, like stopping dieting and learning how to intuitively eat. And it's like the difference between so many people try to use intuitive eating as a diet. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, I'm going to allow as long as at the end I'm going to lose weight or at least not gain. Right. Right. And so yeah. then like you're never. Yeah. 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 And then you're never actually in allowance at all because you have an agenda the whole time about what's supposed to happen and you're constantly monitoring it to see if it's happening or not. Right. And so what I experience when I'm able to really be in this like allowance of my natural rhythms and with not the shooting and letting go of the stuff I don't want to do. And all of that is really just feels much more. It's, it's less feeling pulled to, to get to my computer and do the work. And it's much more just feeling like, well, of course, like there's nothing in the way the same way that like, it's like the same amount of pull as I would feel to like eat when I'm hungry or sleep when I'm tired. I don't like, like just noticing and letting gravity like do its thing rather than. Yeah. Like, it doesn't yeah. feel as, it doesn't feel like the, I think in the beginning of my coaching career also, I mean, part of this may be like in the beginning, the first two to three years, I did feel like that. So yeah, you're some just of jaded this, now. <laughs> exactly. I no longer, I'm just, it's more, I think it's less jaded and more like you've settled into a deep companionate relationship with your work, right? Like, I don't want to anymore. Yeah. I'm like, listen, okay. We don't fuck three times a day anymore, but like, we still know how to get each other. (laughs) Yeah. Get each other off. We're still having sex. Like it just, it feels it. Um, I think in the first couple of years, there's just this wild, like, this is my life. Like what is happening? Like I get to do this work and it's changing people's lives. And like, you know, you're just so fired up and that's a beautiful time. And one of the tragedies of perfectionism is that it robs coaches and anybody of enjoying that time. Yeah, yeah. That's the only time it's going to feel like that. Like that's what it feels like those first three years. So it'd be like your honeymoon period with a partner and you spent the whole time, you know, criticizing yourself and the relationship. And then I don't, you know, now five years in, it feels, yeah, it just feels much more like when I'm in that, the headspace that I want to be in about this, it feels as easy as like sleeping when I'm tired, eating when I'm hungry, sitting Mm -hmm. down to do the work that I want to get done this week because this project is going in. You know, it's just like no drama. I just think it's so interesting too, because I think we are presenting two, not different perspectives, but coming from different angles. Cause I think you have such a brilliant discursive intellect and I'm a lot more like like spacey and flowy. (laughs) And I, for me, it's so critical to be 
to be plugged into that flow thing for me to shift out of the the should hustle mode and into way even if it's like doing something dumb and annoying like I don't know like it's like arranging something on my calendar or doing something that Pavel wants me to do I don't want to <laughs> talking about our Pavel's the butt of all of our podcast complaints we love you Pavel you're the best. Right. So it's like, oh, I don't want to figure out how to use this mic, right? Like whatever. Right. And um, the thing that like it, it's I have so often I make myself plug into, but but really, like what what is this really about? Right. And I have mm-hmm. to plug into, oh, when I set up this mic, even though I don't want to do it, <laughs> I wish Pablo could do it for me. When I do it, it's in service of me being able totally. to reach people, whatever. Right? So that part of it, I think my personality is such that it's really important for me to like plug into that purpose purposefulness and the pull towards service to pull towards whatever creative expression that's where I get a lot of of my energy and when I don't get that I I feel like I have built the you know the the, the discipline and the kind of you know, way of being where I can do 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 that without drama it's like all right just show up and do the thing and we're not going to have a big whatever about it right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah. I think that um, it's interesting. I also think I'm somebody who's very prone to extremes, mm-hmm. like prone to extremes of emotion, pre-coaching, prone to extremes of emotion. I'm, I mean, it's funny because like I would never, I'm not like an adrenaline junkie. I would never like jump out of a plane or like, you know, I'm not, I'm not prone to that kind of extreme, yeah. but I'm prone to like being interested in extremes of emotional experience. And, and I think just, I'm naturally very, Roller coastery, which is why I came to coaching in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so part of it, I think, is like I've experienced both. I've experienced the like hating, dreading uh, of, of work, right? And then I've experienced the high of it. And I think mm-hmm. right now, where I am in my life is like a lot about balancing that out. And like balance always sounded so boring to me, <laughs> right? Like, what, you know? And I still create space in my life for certain kinds of extremists really that are like much more negotiated and and contained and done on purpose. But I do think like, I feel much more these days, like the state of flow I want to be in is a state of flow that is more about like flowing through kind of like flowing through my days in an easier way. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but it just feels more diffuse without resistance. Right. Yeah. It's just sort of like, Oh, what would be here without all the noise? Hmm. Right. And like, and I think in some ways for me right now, excitement is its own kind of noise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, what is life like? Like I know how to create excitement. <laughs> like I can create a, you know, like positive and negative. I am very good at that. Yeah. And like, what is my life? I think because I'm doing a lot of this work in my personal life and in my personal relationships, it's like, what is it like to, yeah. What is this like in the absence of the noise, which in some ways for me is what thought work, that thought work element of coaching is all about, right? Like what is it we are truly encountering and experiencing in the absence of noise? And I also think some of the difference we're describing is just like, that. <laughs> what's the answer to that? I think it's just like, there's no words for it. Right. It's just like the experience of being an animal in the world. Like, yeah. or, yeah. but I do think we also experience, I mean, you know, we're like, I, I don't feel at all that we need to like converge on one explanation or description. Not, I'm not saying yeah. you do either, but like yeah, yeah. we definitely, you know, I do think you are more, um, I wouldn't say spacey or whatever you said. <laughs> I would say you're more like, you seem from the outside, you seem to operate more with a sort of, it's just almost the difference between calling and mission. Mm. Like 
like you're called to something and in conversation with something. And you don't feel I, that way? I don't feel like I'm in conversation with something. No, I don't oh, feel. Yeah, I don't feel. I mean, of course, I feel like I'm in conversation with people and I love yeah, that. Yeah. And like, that's how I get think through ideas. Like, I love we're having this conversation right now. Um, but no, I've never felt like. I don't have that spiritual aspect to my experience. Like, I don't feel like I'm a channel for something. I don't feel like the ideas are like out there and coming to me. Like, I don't, I don't believe in God. I don't feel like I have a relationship with the divine. Like, that's just not kind of my experience. My experience is very like, oh, it's fucking crazy just to be a human. (laughs) My feeling is like, you know, like I had a, I had a long-term romantic partner who not only believed in God, like was Christian, believed in Jesus, had like a personal relationship with Jesus. And, you know, I'm Jewish and don't believe in God. So it was like, we had, that was a big difference. But like a lot of the things he would describe as religious experiences, I was like, oh, I've totally felt that. I just call it a different thing. Yeah, yeah. I call it just like walking down the street and having some crazy brain experience about the transcendence of life and beauty. Like, I don't know. It's just, you know, that's what's happening in there. But I think part of the difference in what we're describing is just a kind of difference. It may even not be a different experience, but a difference in how we talk about yeah, and like describe and define that experience. Um, but I, you know, if we wanted to get all astrology about it, I am a Taurus. I was just my, I, I know, I know, I know. I could feel it coming out of your brain. My psychic powers. That's the weird part. I'm unfortunately slightly psychic, even though I don't believe in it. But it's like very grounded, very. You're in denial of like, like you're actually just a witch. (laughs) I totally, yes, I totally think I'm a a Jewish witch. But yeah, very grounded, very physical, very like in the here and now, what is this world? And I'm not very attuned in my opinion to the, I I think I am probably, I'm witchy about other people. But I don't I, feel like I'm witchy about a different I realm. I disagree. You know? I think that you you we just talk about it using different language. Yeah, that's possible too. Right? Because like you you're somebody who responds to seasons. Like I we've either talked about that to me is like the world though. I think of like the witchiness. I think of like like in my mind you're having a conversation with some kind of otherworldly spirit. I think you are too, but you just don't think that it is. You just think it's like you having a brain experience. And I'm like, no. It's- <laughs> or it's the opposite. You think you're, all right, right. Or I think you're having a brain experience. <laughs> I'm totally allowing space for your flawed world. Yeah. I, I appreciate that about you. That's very, what's your, what's your astrology sign again? <laughs> I'm a quadruple Pisces for everybody who's, who's listening. <laughs> I thought it was going to be, I thought there's going to be some Virgo in there. Some oh yeah, a little bit. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Five of Virgo moon. Oh, so that's good. what it's like. Oh my God. Also, we're like at an hour. This podcast is. <laughs> oh my God. I haven't, I have only talked about one of like the seven tenets. <laughs> Different. That way you can do seven more podcasts. Brilliant. Oh my gosh. Okay. No, but I, okay. I just want to say this though. I think that yes, do it. we are all, I think the principles that by which humanity functions are the same because we're all built the same. Right. And you can, you can be spiritual and call it one thing. You can be pragmatic and call it another thing, but it's like we all, gravity works the same for everybody. Our bodies work the same for, I mean, you know, with variation, of course. And mm-hmm. I think it's important for people to, to hear, like there's different ways of understanding and processing yeah. it, but it doesn't mean that we're all actually having different. I actually fundamentally don't care if my spiritual experience is just my brain being crazy and this Great. organic, you know, experience of like nature doing its thing. I think it doesn't take away from the mystery either way. And it doesn't take away from the crazy experience that is being human. <laughs> I think I, most coaches are pragmatists at heart. Cause we're like, 
Who? Okay, but like, is it helpful? LCS coaches at least. LCS coaches are pragmatists at heart. Yeah, but that's what I love about this work is like, even my thoughts about the model. I'm like, is that helpful though? Right. It's right, just always right. back to like, what result am I getting? Yeah. What am I? What's happening here? Okay. Fantastic. I do feel like we could do like twelve more of these. So <laughs> we should just have a whole. We might just have to have our own podcast. I like that the opening speech of the symposium. <laughs> I know. I feel like we need to have like a once a month serial podcast where we're just like. <laughs> Life coaching and intellectual history. <laughs> I would actually fucking love that. I would totally do that. All right. We're going to talk about the rest of this offline. <laughs> okay. We'll um, talk to y'all later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey, if you want a shot of fresh inspiration and actionable tips to improve your marketing every single week in your inbox, you better get on my email list. Sign up to receive my free ebook called 20 Unsolicited Copy Tips. It's been known to get people to come out of the woodwork and ask to work with you. So get on that link in the show notes and I'll see you in your inbox next time.